everybody. Welcome to Curly Girlies Podcast with Atara and Grace. I'm Atara, founder of the Curly Girl Movement, author of the Curly Girly book series, and owner of curlygirly.com. And I'm here today with my good friend and amazing co-host, Grace Cross. Hi, Grace. How are you doing today? Hey, Atara. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Thank you. Well, Atara and audience, we have such a dynamic and interesting guest. Atara, who do we have today? Audience Grace, I'm really happy today to be speaking with Ellie Beer. Ellie is a trailblazer and a visionary, though I doubt he would ever say this about himself. As president and founder of a very important organization, United Hatzalah of Israel, Ellie has been instrumental in saving thousands of lives. Hatzalah comes from the Hebrew word to save, and this organization is devoted to just that. Hatzalah is a nonprofit volunteer EMS organization that provides fast and free emergency first response services to anyone who is in need, no questions asked. Recently, Ellie is among our coronavirus survivors. While visiting and working in Miami, Florida, Ellie contracted the virus where he was hospitalized and intubated in an induced coma for 30 days. Ellie is one of those miracle comeback stories. Still recovering, Ellie continues to work with renewed vigor to ensure that saving lives remains his life mission. United Hatzalah's model of using community-based lifesavers has been implemented in 21 countries worldwide. Welcome, Ellie, to our show. We are so happy to be speaking with you today. How are you? All the way from Israel. I am I'm doing great, and I'm really excited to be at your show. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Well, thank you. You know, Ellie, I'm really happy to have you here today because... Um, I want to let you know a little bit about how I heard about you. I am familiar with the Hatzalah organization and the good work you do. But several months ago, um, when all of this Corona COVID-19 started, a video that you did right before you were intubated went viral. So I really want to start a little bit. Um, if you could tell us about your experience with the virus, I know that's still on everybody's minds daily. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that and your road to recovery and what's going on now. So can you tell us how all of those events transpired? Um, well, that video is, uh, I, I, I saw it the, the first time just uh, two days ago. So I had the chills when I was watching it. Um, I was really, really sick. I was, uh, I was notified by the doctors that they have to induce me into coma. Uh, my breathing was terrible. I, I was attacked by a really bad pneumonia that came because of uh, COVID-19. I'm a healthy guy. I don't have any record of anything. I was never hospitalized for being sick. And I don't smoke, of course. And all of a sudden, the doctors are telling me that I'm, I'm going to be intubated. And I was really, really worried and concerned because I know what intubating is. You know, I'm, they're probably going to ask me some questions about it. But for over 30 years, I'm a medic, and I, I saved many people, but I also saw many people that we tried saving by intubating them. Their situation was really, really bad, and some don't survive. So I, I knew that I have a 50-50 chance. So I made a video saying goodbye to everyone, but actually asking people. I didn't say goodbye forever, meaning I, didn't, I said, please continue saving lives. Please continue supporting this great organization. It's so important for everyone that this organization shall continue. It's not a luxury organization. It's a life-saving organization. And that's how I ended up, you know, my, my, my period in the, in the hospital where I was still awake. And then they put me to sleep within seconds. I was, I was under 
the influence of very heavy medication. Do you have any memory? Because, you know, I've read, you know, so much about this. And I wonder if you experienced like a memory of being sedated, but still somewhat aware, or were you completely unaware of your surroundings? I was, uh, I didn't know anything that was happening around me. I, I even didn't realize where I was when I, like when I woke up, I didn't know where I was. It took me a very long time to, I was actually, the doctors were convincing me that I'm in Miami. I thought I was in Switzerland. And the reason I thought I was in Switzerland is because um, I had, I don't know how to call it. They have a name for it. I forgot the name. It's, it's a, it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Worse than the medical issues I had, the emotional issues were even worse. I was dreaming real dreams. It weren't dreams that you wake up in the morning and you just open your eyes and you will say, oh, it's just a dream. This was a misery a real misery of 30 days almost in a coma. And actually every step of these miseries, I felt like I was part of it. Like I was in it. I was in Europe in a terrible disaster that happened in Europe and people were dying all around me. And I sent a thousand volunteers to help out rescue people from this terrible floodings that they had there. And I was push, pulling people outside of their water and intubating them. That's how, that's what was happening. That, that was your like dream, but it felt so real. It was real. It was like, I knew the names of people that I saved and they were talking to me and asking me to save their relatives. I was talking to them and with them. And then had, I was staying in some people's homes that these people, I felt like a real, and I knew their names. I knew how they looked and everything, but they never existed. And, it was a really bad experience. And, and afterwards, I found out uh, talking about this for a while with the doctors and everything. And, I, and, I, and my University of Miami is what's good about it. It's a university, and they take things really serious. And, and I actually, I wrote them a really beautiful, a nice email when I was saved by them. And when I left and I went back to Israel, that was another miracle. But when I got back to Israel, I wrote a beautiful email thanking the person who came to clean the bathrooms every day and to clean the room and to wash me and the nurses and the doctors and, and the management, I give a really nice thank you. And I said, I just want to recommend one little thing that I think could help a lot of people. COVID patients and other patients that are intubated and they're seduced to a coma wake up with terrible miseries. And I gave them some, some of it. I actually thought I was kidnapped. In the, when I woke up, it took me two days to realize I wasn't kidnapped by bad people. I called, I called Gitti, my wife, and I said to her, you have to, and I spoke Hebrew because I was scared they're going to know what I'm saying. They're going to hear you. And I said, I was kidnapped by terrible people. And I don't know where exactly I am, but you need to call the FBI and they have to raid this hospital because they're not, they're not really a hospital. They're, they're killing people here. And I hear the screaming from the other room, which it was true that they had screaming from the other room of people. So I, th- I told the hospital, I would like you very much to, to, to do something that for the future of other people and wake people up with professional psychologists or, or some people who are trained to deal with putting people back into reality and, and really took it serious. We had a few calls about this with the heads of the hospital and the main doctors there. And they, they said, we love the idea. We, heard, we, we know about this, but we never heard it so clear because people are embarrassed to talk about it. To say right, and the people, right, because it makes you sound a little bit, a little bit crazy. But 
but it's a reality of what's what people are going through not it's not that you're just peacefully sleeping and i think that needs to be said right and the the medicines they use are very powerful and uh, right and you go into illusions that that they need help people need help when they wake up and they actually going to be the first hospital to fix it i'm sure a lot of people that are going to listen to this to your to, to our talk or uh, have relatives or they themselves went through this and people are not talking about it enough and i think this is yes part of the this should be part of the treatment uh of treating people who are not only covid-19 patients but everyone who goes through this and covid-19 now or you know so many people i know that uh, some people unfortunately do not survive but i meet i meet people that were in 50 days in a coma wow they just had a 22 year old man young man in israel who just woke up this week from a, from a coma he was a healthy boy he just got sick and and they had to put him in an intub- they had to intubate him and he was in a really bad condition as well i was 30 days and he was 20 50 days and and he went through the same exact thing so is it the maybe also the length of time the longer that you're under is it the the worse all of these these dream like states feel is, is that what they're saying yeah yeah it's it's because of the the you know if you if someone goes into if someone's put to sleep for a small surgery or something um and uh and he has to uh and and he has to go through like whatever emergency surgery he won't feel it he won't feel it it would be a very short period but because it's for days and days and you, and they always pump in more medicate your medicine it's not like you they give you one time and you're sleeping for 30 days don't forget a lot of people are in a coma without medication because they are medically in a coma I wasn't medically in a coma they put me in a coma they want me to stay induced it So that's the, that's the problem. No, that's really um it's so interesting a topic because I think what you said is so true. People are not talking about this enough. So it's you know everyone's so relieved and they should be when their family members are you know get up and and are walking and talking after covid, but I think there's an emotional piece that really needs to be addressed. Um that's not getting addressed. And I think you know sometimes in the chaos of coronavirus we're just happy that people are now physically able to move on but we need to really take care of their their mental state as well so thank you for bringing that up i heard and tell me if this is true you know you you read a lot of different things were you transported to israel and where they did additional work for your recovery while you were in a coma but it sounds like what you're saying is you woke up still in Miami so maybe that isn't true so this is a beautiful part i actually woke up they they almost gave i mean they, they didn't give hope they didn't stop hoping but the doctors they had nothing else to treat me and then the hospital itself had a new treatment with stem cells they were okay. trying to uh use stem cells which is actually israeli the idea is israeli i mean originally But uh I'm not sure if it's Israel. I'm taking credit, but it could be not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it to you. For this podcast you could have it, Ellie. Exactly. But um I like to be, you know, uh, at least honest about these things because it's easy to find that I was <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, stem cells are from Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but Israel's very big into it. Let's put it this way. Yeah, I know they're they're for runners and 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 doing stem cell research. Right. So Israel they couldn't send the stem cells to the hospital. It was too difficult. They didn't have flights. 
And then the hospital itself were using it for, I think, for heart, heart problems. And, and we're, they were doing some research about it. So they said, why don't we try it on, a, on COVID patients? And I was the first one. I actually got a, a special approve, a approval from the FDA because this was like a, a, a passion, uh, what is it called? Like a, like a mercy medicine. It has a special, yeah. So they gave it to me because they had nothing else to give me. And then the next day, I all of a sudden became much better. So they extubated me. They woke me up and said, welcome back to the world. I don't remember the first hours. It's very, very hard for me to remember the first hours. But uh, I remember that, uh, I remember that uh, they woke me up. And then um, um, what happened was I was so confused. I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and uh, it was very, very confusing, everything. And, and then they told me the whole story. And I was, again, I was very, very so bothered. You just weren't yourself. I wasn't myself. Like. It took me a few days to get back to myself. But within, so you're saying like literally they, they brought the stem cells from Israel to Miami, it sounds like. And then within a day of giving it to you, they were able to extubate you? Yeah, within a, a few hours or a day it was. That's unbelievable. Um, so are they using stem cells now more routinely now on other people? So now they actually are doing a research of it. And I was lucky I got it before the research because once before you- Before the research, right. Yeah. So you have a 50% chance of getting, uh, you know, a fake stem cell. A placebo, right. right. Placebo. So I, uh, I was lucky and I think it helped me, but I really believe, and I'm going to, going to a little mystic uh, beliefs. I really believe that the prayers around the world, and I'm talking about from India, Bangladesh, Israel, of course, my home, uh, and uh, United States and Europe, people from all around the world were just praying for me. They didn't even know me. So Ellie, this brings me to my next um, segue here, which is, you know, um, we had a wonderful um, episode with Martina Cartier, a New York City hairstylist famous he does hair to the stylist he also has a beautiful wonderful organization called wigs to wishes where he helps um cancer patients um he's a really special person he comes on my show and he starts telling me actually about you <laughs> and how he had seen um both your video that went viral and then subsequent to that he went to see your ted talk um, where you spoke about this wonderful organization, Hatsala, and he was so inspired. And this is where what you're saying is so true. The prayers um, really came from everywhere. And people were so inspired by you because he really took action based on seeing your TED Talk. And he went to his Facebook Live where he has a really engaged community. And within hours, he raised $43,000, which I think was enough money to get a new, I think you call it an ambucycle. So tell us a little bit about um, Hatsala, the movement for you, how it got started, and and the, and the motorcycles that you use to save people's lives. So first of all, thank you for mentioning Martino, because I think he's a real angel in this world. I, I mean, very hard to find people who are made from this kind of material. They have a beautiful soul. He's a, he's a really, really, really special person. I never knew about him before. And when I woke up, and actually, after I got to Israel, which was a week after I woke up, I was back in Israel. And the first video I was watching, I didn't have time to watch videos, and I had so many messages. And, and my, my assistant in New York sent me a video. She said, you have to see this. This is a guy, Martino. He lives in Miami. I watched it, and I was crying. And he, told, and he said the whole story in the video. He said, I, 
I did this whole Passover um, raising money for, for buying an ambicycle, and it took me like 20 minutes. And, and some great people were helping, even Paolo Abdul, who is very friendly, helped. Uh, and she's a very famous singer. I grew up on yes. this. Yes, yes, yeah. Lovely. And it was just amazing to see how people really cared. And I had a big miracle, and I think it was for a purpose. This whole journey was a real big purpose. And he is very spiritual. Uh, um, so he did a great thing. And I'll, and I'll go back to the ambicycle idea. So I grew up in Israel. I was born and raised here. My parents are American. That's how I speak English. I'm not so smart. I was going to say, your English is perfect. <laughs> yeah, my parents are originally American from New York. And uh, my mother lives in Israel for 52 years, and she's 90. She's 92, actually. So she's 40 years in America, 52 years here, and she doesn't speak a word of Hebrew. Wow. (laughs) She just refused to learn. That's it. She was like, that's it. You're going to have to accommodate me and speak English, which your country does. Exactly. So Israel allows every American to just stay with their language and you could get around. Everything is in English. So um, I grew up here. And then when I was six years old, I experienced a terrible tragedy. They had a bus that came right after school. The bus came towards the bus stop. uh, uh, They blew up a terrorist, left a bomb on the bus. And six people were killed. Four of them were children. And about 50 people were injured. Many of them were children. And I knew a lot of these kids. I was six. But I remember a lot of it. And I grew up remembering this trauma. And, you know, then it wasn't a, you know, post-traumatic stress wasn't a big, you know, no one spoke about it so much. But I decided to fight what I saw by helping save people's lives. So uh, I went to volunteer in an ambulance. I learned how to save people. Uh, very basic training. And, and how was, old were you at that time? 15. Yeah, but this is young. You know, this is before the age of, of uh, PlayStations, you know? Yes, right. that's right. You're very right. <laughs> there, when you're an energetic boy of 15, this, this probably seemed exciting to you. It was the most exciting thing. First of all, play around with the siren. Going through red lights. <laughs> what could be better? Could be. Real life PlayStation. Exactly, you know. And then you, you could yeah. use a microphone and scream at cars and they're not moving, you know. And uh, you feel important. Every boy's dream. So I was 15 when I started. And I was a year and a half in the back of the ambulance. And I realized that we never save people. We help people, but we never save people. Meaning, mm-hmm. if someone is drowning, by the time we got to that person, it was too late. Someone's choking or heart attack. A massive heart attack. We got there too late. Our average response time was over 15 minutes, which is fast for the for 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 ambulance services. Some countries were much worse. So uh, after incident of a seven year old boy, that his mother called for an ambulance, screaming in panic, and she was saying, "My son is choking. He was eating. He was having lunch, and he was choking." It took us 21 minutes to arrive. A very bad. It was a very bad traffic day. We had to come from the other side of town, the only ambulance available. And by the time we got there, we started CPR. It was, we knew already the situation is irreversible. If we do save this kid, he will be brain damaged. And then a doctor comes in. He was walking his dog in the street. He saw the ambulance parked downstairs. He ran up to the, in the building. He said, I'm a doctor. He, he was helping us doing you know, uh, life-saving CPR on this kid. And after a few minutes, he said, just, uh, we have nothing to do. Just bring a sheet to cover him. He's not alive. And that moment was the worst moment of my life at that point. 
knowing that a doctor lives a block away, but he didn't know that this kid is choking and they were waiting for us to arrive to save him while he could have saved this kid if he would have known about it. If he only would have known, he would have been there because he's a good person. He saw the ambulance park there. He ran up to help. So I said, why don't I go together with a bunch of my friends and start responding to emergency calls before ambulances and create a new thing called pre-ambulance service instead of pre-hospital service as ambulance. Let's do another, another part to it, which is missing. I saw it in my own eyes how many people did not survive because we came there 10 seconds too late or a minute too late or five minutes too late. Um, and we started this movement. The problem was that the ambulances did not want to share emergency calls with us. They didn't like the idea at all. So we had to use some um, Israeli te- technique. It's known in America too, but I call it chutzpah. <laughs> a nice word for gall. <laughs> it's called sass in English, I think. Oh, I like that. Okay, good. <laughs> sass. And so you didn't give up. You decided to continue, even though you were getting resistance, you're like, no, I'm going to continue with this idea and it's going to happen. People are going to listen to me. It's just a matter of when. So when was your when time that people started to listen? So, so I, I said, I'm not going to give up to my idea because all I wanted to do is save one person, one person's life. And I didn't get to do it right. in an ambulance. So I asked a friend of mine in America who was coming back, to, going to America and coming back to buy uh, police scanners in Radio Shack. Oh, wow. And, and he bought these scanners, were very expensive. He had to smuggle it into Israel because taxes were very high. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that was, uh, that's how we created this idea and listening to them. And we started, we started showing up at every emergency call way before they showed up. And uh, that's how we started with 15 people. The first person I treated was a man who was hit by a car. An ambulance was, was uh, dispatched. I heard the address. I was very close. I ran there by foot and, and he was bleeding terribly from his neck and I stopped his bleeding. I waited for the ambulance to come. Two days later, his son calls my home. I answer the phone and he says, are you Ellie Beer? I said, yes. He said, my father woke up in the hospital and he wants to thank you for saving his life. Uh, he said, you, you, you stopped his bleeding and he was on Coumadine which is a blood thinner. And if it wasn't for you, he would have been dead. And I realized how easy it is to save lives. So very fast, we grew from 15 to 30 to 60. I started recruiting. Actually, the funniest part, I started recruiting people from that I would never have a relationship with. I, I'm a little Jewish uh, young boy. Uh, grew, up, right. grew up in a orth- very orthodox community in uh, Jerusalem. And I, and I went to Arab part of Jerusalem to recruit Arabs who I never had any relationship with and it was incredible and uh we started you know creating bridges between the 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 people and i the only thing i ask people is some emergency happening next next to you you have to run and save this person or treat them and then when ambulance arrives you go back to work or go back home so um since we started and then i created that new ambicycle idea which i realized pizza delivery uh deliver food within minutes. Why can't we deliver life? They're coming faster than the ambulance in some respects. So now this is just a fantastic, and how quickly, what was the public's reaction when they're used to these certain long times and now you're coming in record time to save lives? They loved it. Everyone loved it. It was just amazing to see the response. So many people wanted to join us, thousands. Very, you know, it was like everyone loved it. I mean, even ambulance drivers from the ambulance, uh, 
companies, they said, could we join in after work and everything? And it was just amazing to see how many people want to be heroes. Yes. So we grew well, I think fast. that's that's so true, right? Like I think ordinary people, everybody has a hero inside of them. I, I always try to tell this to my children, like we can all be heroes and we all want to be heroes. We just need to be given the right opportunity and the right tools. So I think for a lot of young people, Ellie, you have done this with United Atsala and you've also, as you said, been able to bridge the gap among communities that are so diverse and traditionally aren't always getting along. And I think that's what's so beautiful about what you've done, recognizing that people are people everywhere. And there's people that want to join from all walks of life and you allow them to and thereby unite so many. So that's just such a beautiful thing. Are you doing this all over the world now, I understand? India, Bangladesh, right? Yeah, right before I got sick, I was in India and I gave a, a new TEDx talk. Uh, the first one was in Washington with Ted, Ted Med, and this one is TEDx, and they didn't, I think they're going to publicize it this week. Because of the whole COVID thing, they stopped all there. So I was in India just a few weeks before, maybe a week before, two weeks before I got sick. I was in India, and I gave a TEDx talk there, and it was incredible to see how many people love this idea in India. And I think millions of people in India could be helped by every year by people, random people who could save their lives. And they want to copy this model. I just had another conference call with them last week. They're really interested in creating this. And it's already in many countries that adopted this model, over 21 countries. And what's the model exactly? It's using volunteers. And do they have to be able to ride, um, learn how to ride a motorcycle? Is that a criteria? Like how long is the training? for the CPR? How does all it like actually work? Okay, so I'll give you a story and you'll understand how easy it is. I just, I heard it's from Sammy. He's an Arab taxi driver in East Jerusalem. And uh, he met me just uh, a short while ago and he told me the story and I was crying when I heard it. He was trained by United Hatzalah. It took about 200 hours. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't every day, it was twice a week in the evening. So it took him about a year altogether. And then after he was trained in, in, in authorized to go out to emergency calls. He was an EMT, emergency medical technician. We gave, he, he told me he got a bag of equipment, a defibrillator and everything. And he put it in the back of his cab, in his taxi. And he would drive around for, emergen- for, for transporting people. And uh, he told me that he, a rabbi came into his car. It's a man, a religious Jew from New York that came into his uh, taxi. And uh, he's driving him to his destination. And all of a sudden, he gets an emergency call on his phone. We have an app, like Uber, but much more sophisticated. It allows the five closest people to every emergency to know about the emergency nearby them so they could stop everything they do and respond to the emergency. With his. So he's with his car, and he has all the medical supplies an ambulance has. And on the call that he gets on his phone, it says unconscious, uh, you know, resuscitation needed. You know, this person is not, has no pulse. So he, he, tell, he stops the, t- the taxi and he says this to this religious man. He says, uh, I have to let you go. You don't have to pay me. Uh, take another taxi. I have an emergency. He says, what kind of emergency? He says, I'm a United Hatzala volunteer. And he shows him the vest, the orange vest. So he looks at him and he says, I'm a doctor from New York. Could I join you? He says, uh, really? A doctor? He says, yes. He says, I thought you were a rabbi. He says, no, no, I just look like a rabbi, but I'm a doctor. Can you take me? He says, okay, join me. And they went out to save someone. They worked on this person. They shocked this person with a defibrillator that Sammy had in the back of his car, and they brought him back to life. 
And, they, and this doctor said to him, I'm a doctor for 25 years. I never saved someone like this. I'm always working in, the, in, my, in, in my office. My, he has, he's a doctor. They come to check, you know. Right. There are all kinds of doctors, right? Yeah. He doesn't have to be in the emergency room, right? Exactly. And he never went out to save someone like this. He never felt what it means to bring back someone to life. He says, I want to make a deal with you. He says, I'm here in Israel for, for a week. I want you to be my taxi driver every single day and take me everywhere. But every time you have an emergency, take me with you. <laughs> so that's a, it's very simple. You have thousands of people who are connected with an app and they do whatever they do. Some's a plumber, one's a an electrician, the other person's a, a doc, you know, a, a lawyer, whatever, whatever, whatever. For a living. Right. But if something happens nearby you, you have to stop and run, take care of that problem. And wow. uh, and we made it into a grassroots uh, life-saving organization. Like it's it's part of the or it's part of the communities. It's not a official, you know, uniform organization where people get paid. No one gets paid. Zero. Right. Everyone's a volunteer. Wow. Everyone does it from his goodwill. And uh, if you're very lucky and you have like a lot of emergency calls you respond to, so then uh, we will have people donate these ambicycles and, and we give it to these special volunteers that are very active. They go out to over 80 calls a month. They live in right. areas that need it more. But most of the volunteers, they respond with their own car. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like also what you're saying and, and one of the successes of, of United Hatzalah is social responsibility, where yeah. we feel responsible for one another. And we understand that we play a part in helping other people. And I think that's really such an important lesson for everyone to learn, especially in today's times. Social I love the word social responsibility because it's, <laughs> right. that's the essence of this organization. You know, in Hebrew saying, uh, you say, I mean, it's, I'm translating it to English. Whoever saves one life saves a whole world. And the essence of being a human being is taking care of someone else the way you want someone to take care of you. And, uh, and you it's always- beautiful. It's really beautiful to, to have you on to talk about this. Um, I'm very, very inspired, um, you know, to think of like just how to take action. I know donating funds is something that United Hatala probably always needs. Um, anyone who can be a Martino Cartier should be because you really are doing such important, wonderful work. And I'm so glad that you are here and talking with us and healthy and recovering. And I think um, you have to keep telling your story, Ellie, because I think you said it right in the beginning that people are not speaking about what they went through um, with the coronavirus while intubated. And that's something that probably is going to come out in drips and drabs and and you need to discuss so that we can all heal. Um, this there might be a long haul in this. How is it in Israel, by the way? I know you're there now. Is I know they open schools there. Is it is there an uptake or is um, everything status quo? Well, uh, Israel had Israel took they took this extreme, and I think it was a good thing they did. But now they opened it up, and I think that's a good thing too, because you can't keep people no. you know out of work for so long. So today we had 59 people who were, you know, uh, contracted COVID that were announced that they have COVID. Some people don't know they have it, unfortunately, but uh, um, they had all together in Israel um, about 17,000 people were sick. About Mm -hmm. 260 people died or 270 people died, Mm -hmm. Um, and which is a, Small number. Every number is high because even if it's right. one, it's high. But 
it's compared to disasters that happened in uh, America, which I was right. crying to see how many people suffered and died. Yes. Such a tragedy. Yeah, and but they're opening up. Uh, uh, I'm I'm right in Tel Aviv now, in the center of the heart of the action in Tel Aviv. I see the ocean right in front of me. People are playing there. Beautiful. You know, they're playing and on the beach, and it's really nice. And and people slowly are getting back to themselves. Well, I hope everyone continues to stay safe and healthy where you are and everywhere else in the world. Thank you again, Ellie, for coming on. Please just tell our audience where they can donate to United Hatzalah because I'm sure they will want to. So first of all, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that and for, ask, for, for letting me do this. A great way of doing it is just to go into our website. It's www.israelrescue.org. Uh, okay. It's easy, israelrescue.org. Israelrescue.org, okay. And you can learn, and we have a Facebook, Israel, uh, United Hatzalah of Israel. Hatzalah is with an A twice, with an H and an N. So it's Hatzalah. Okay. It's a hard one. Yeah, maybe spell that out for us. That's not so easy. <laughs> yeah, but anyone who actually wants to know what Hatzalah means, and I forgot to say, Hatzalah means save and rescue in Hebrew. So it's yes. a Hebrew name for saving lives, right? So Hatzalah yeah, is yes. eight. United is easy. Hatzalah is H-A-T-Z-A-L-A-H. Okay. So it's United Hatzalah of Israel. Okay. We'll put that in our show notes so it'll be easily accessible to anyone who wants to donate. Ellie, you are inspiring on a million different levels. So I know you're a busy man because everyone wants a piece of you now. I'm glad that you're able to give a piece of yourself. Um, We're glad to have you back. Um, and healthy, and we hope and we know you're going to continue to do amazing things. So thank you, thank you again for coming on. Stay well and have a great day. Thank you for, for having me.